0: Hey, sis, it's a weekly shakedown of the binary walls around us.
1: Breaking it out and building a bridge.
0: Checking our biases with empathy and humility and questioning the status quo. It's
2: about building allyship that is intentional and confident. Yeah, I, I saw that video, and although I've never been beaten like that, thank heavens, uh, I could certainly relate to what that, that child was experiencing in some way. And my questions are really about what is what's happening there like where was the staff why are these kids cheering them on welcome to the 10th podcast episode of hey sis and the very first episode
1: for 2021 we're both so happy to be continuing this series into the new year With the new year
0: comes, new changes and new challenges. So, well, it's a heavy topic for our first of 2021. Um, It's a really important topic, and it's happening, like, all across Canada here. So, on the first day back to school, uh, out in BC, Mission BC to be specific, on January 11th, um, a young girl who was returning to school, uh, she's 13 years old, and she attends the Colt Heritage Park Middle School in Mission BC, um, was the victim of an awful assault that happened happened in the school yard where two girls had pushed her to the ground and it was caught on videotype and it's quite triggering to watch. I'm assuming a lot of it has been taken down offline. But um, the young uh, child was kicked in the head repeatedly in the ribs in the legs and the hip. Um, the girls pulled her down even further right to the ground where they continued to kick her. And um this was taken from uh, a global news coverage of the story. And what was even more horrific about the story is that it was videotaped from the schoolyard. Multiple kids just stood around videoing it, commentating, making bets on what was going to happen, and nobody jumped in to help. Nobody said, this is not okay. And the background and the bones of the story is that it was um potentially or quite evidently actually um, transphobic bullying. Um, the mother of this child has said that her daughter had been experienced transphobic bullying uh, for months at this at, at the time of the attack and she's now looking um, at homeschooling. Uh, today we're joined by Colin McKenna who is the president of P Flag Vancouver. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. So the rally that happened, and we did notice that CBC, uh, didn't actually cover the story until, uh, the rally that happened afterwards.
2: It was really weird with CBC because they, the, the story broke really on the Wednesday. So I guess that was the 13th or Cause the, the event was Monday. The story broke Wednesday night. Uh, it was on global news here by Thursday morning. My, everything was like, blowing i didn't even know about the story until thursday morning i people had messaged me wednesday night but it was quite late like 11 midnight and so i thought, oh, know something's going on I'll, I'll look at it in the morning and i wish i'd looked at it sooner because by thursday morning it was like global disaster it was terrible um i wrote to the superintendent that took me 20 minutes to write that letter i was i was like angry typing i was like that that cat meme or typing and uh and sent it, and then within an hour, I had media at my door, which happens. I have that effect sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think what was concerning was the fact that Global had put out um, a piece that really didn't put the superintendent in the best light. Like He had said something kind of silly, but then they took it out of context, pissed off every LGBTQ person from here to Kalamazoo. Uh, we wrote and said, what is this fresh hell? he wrote back the next day it took him a day to get back to me but when he did he was actually very um i like the guy you know like he he seems to get it his uh, one of his board members one of the trustees also wrote to me the next day they're very Uh, committed to try to get things right. But my main concern now is that school administration, what is going on at that school?
0: I was just going to back up just to put it in perspective, what the superintendent had said in the media, in the news coverage was that he, it seemed to be that this could have been related or the attack happened because of COVID and basically students pent up aggression, playing it out on the schoolyard, which obviously was not,
2: not. Yeah. It's, it's a very common thing I find for, people in power to say, well, we've seen an increase because of X. The fact that you've seen an increase tells me that it was happening before. It wasn't dealt with before. And now you have a true dumpster fire happening because you have a pandemic on top of it. So that was my message to them is this isn't new in you know, all bold. <laughs> like this is not a new problem. Um, I'm a 47 year old that at 13 was attacked while I was on the phone with my mother kicked from behind on a pay phone you know, and called FAG and all kinds of things. And so I, yeah, I, I saw that video. And although I've never been beaten like that, thank heavens, uh, I could certainly relate to what that that child was experiencing in some way. And my questions are really about what is, what's happening there? Like, where was the staff? Why are these kids cheering them on? Um, what kind of SOGI rollout have you had in the last four years, and is it resonating? And How are you measuring that? Um, the ARC Foundation that put together SOGI123 um, originally, one of my main questions, I remember sitting in their board office and I said, this is great. I think it's fantastic that these kids are getting this kind of um, material in school. It's something that's decades, centuries overdue. What are we doing for the parents? what is the message they're taking
0: home? Yeah, just to premise for East Coasters and people outside of BC as well. So SOGI is basically the written guideline on how to support diverse students, students with diverse backgrounds around gender identity, gender expression and sexual orientation. Um, And I believe it's it's been well received. It's ruled out across BC. Now, there was a lot of pushback though from parents with that sort of age old argument that um, these kind of values need to stay in the home and not in the school. Uh, but it sounds like despite all that, it is, there is a mandatory curriculum based around supporting gender identity.
2: They're kind of funny about the wording because it's not really a curriculum. It's a guideline that teachers can use. So they're very, that was, (laughs) that was hammered home, uh, early on is this is not like a mandatory curriculum that people will learn to be gay in school. That was the main concern a lot of people had. But they had that concern because they hadn't Read it. They hadn't gone through it. If you go to the Soji One Two Three website, everything is there. It's very transparent. It basically is teaching kids from an extremely young age, like I'm talking kindergarten age, um, what it means when, you know, the the human race is not all the same. When you say something is normal, what does what does normal mean? Um, you know, the the kid next to you might have two dads or two moms, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it's it It's trying to i think of my my niece and my nephews, for example, I see them as like my niece is eight, my nephew just turned six uh I'm thinking of them in particular. they've seen Uncle Colin and Uncle Ryan since the day they were born, and to them, I don't think you know they they've ever really second guessed that they they'll ask questions once in a while, you know they'll hear something at school and they'll come home and ask a funny question when we're over and and we've always been uh there to answer them. But because they've had that exposure their entire lives so far, it's not unusual to them. And that's kind of what Soji is meant to do is to help kids understand that you will see these things in the world. This is a normal part of being in the world. Um, And and here are some ways to to deal with that. So when you see uh that playground situation was painful in so many ways because you know that some of those kids are probably egging them on because it's if they don't do that they're not cool like the others but the fact that they're witness to somebody who's being assaulted and that there's some normalcy to that that's the major concern everyone kept saying this was a an instance of bullying no this was an assault and so the fact is, is that the police got involved. These kids were arrested. I mean, nobody wants to see thirteen-year-olds being arrested, um, but if they're assaulting other people, that's the consequence. That's you know that that's unfortunately that's what will happen. And so I think um, the turnout that you saw is a real indication that cities like Mission um, that have a reputation for being. Uh, Maybe a little redneck, maybe a little rural. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to own that. You know, I I went to high school across the river mm-hmm. from Mission in Abbotsford.
0: Abbotsford, yeah.
2: And Abbotsford is a very religious town. Okay. It's the I called it the buckle of the Bible Belt, <laughs> and <laughs> I was right in the middle of that.
0: I did read that when I was looking up this story, because I had only heard about the story from PFLAG, so it didn't even reach the East Coast. But another story came up in Abbotsford, I think 2017, just a couple of years ago, about another. uh There was something else that happened where a mom pulled her daughter who was lesbian, is lesbian and maybe trans, but pulled her from school as well because of ongoing bullying and they couldn't yeah. cope um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but I did see that Abbotsford is quite close to Mission BC as well, and you're just about a what an hour outside of Vancouver. Yeah. No. Okay. So sorry. Uh, means-
2: well, I I'm in Vancouver specific, but um, where I went to high school in Abbotsford is about an hour's drive east of here. So basically, you have Vancouver's here, Abbotsford's here, Mission's right across the Fraser River, and Chilliwack is just to the east. So those three kind of urban centers. Uh, are very different but very close together. It's a weird place. Like Abbotsford and Chilliwack would be more similar. Mission uh, was a logging town originally, so it's a very, it's a working class place. It's kind of depressed. Like when you drive into Mission, it's it doesn't. It, it, I, I've I've never been a huge fan of Mission. Apologies to those watching in Mission, but it was just not a welcoming feeling place. Um, but that's changed a lot in the last few decades because, and especially in the last few months, a lot of people are leaving the city and moving further out. So when that happens, you get more, you know, progressive city thinkers, so to speak. You know, people who live in cities tend to be more progressive uh, scientifically, if you look at any stats Um, look at the States right now, the Democrats live in cities, the Republicans usually don't. So, it, the, the the mix of people is changing and I think that's what's driving some of the angst is that when these other people show up in town they don't know how to deal with that they feel like they're being taken over it's kind of the whole mm. um, issue the the whole thing about trumpism is that you know white supremacy is on the rise because they feel like they're being attacked by these people that don't look like them they're taking mm-hmm. over that type of thinking so in the valley that fascistic white supremacy kind of stuff is going on full bore and has been for a number of years. So you'll see uh, mentions of people like Barry Neufeld is a school trustee in Chilliwack. He's always all over the news, Uh really unpleasant human being (laughs) in a lot of ways. And we've, we've protested a lot of places where he is. I mean, generally P flag avoids things that are political, but when these political people are, are, you know, um, should be the subject of a human rights tribunal. That's a bit different. That that whole microcosm of stuff is happening within, you know, a 40-kilometer radius in the valley. So the valley is a very challenging place to live if you're LGBTQ because you're surrounded by people who are um, indoctrinated by conspiracy theories. They think that the LGBTQ community is taking over. Soji's training our kids to be gay. And what a lot of these people don't realize is they had the gay kid. They didn't make them gay. They were already like that. Yeah. Um, trans people scare them even more because they, they really don't understand that. So it's, uh, yeah, this <laughs> this particular incident, like I, I said to the superintendent, isn't new. But it needed to be called out because it was clear that the school – um, didn't seem to understand the importance of dealing with it swiftly.
1: Yeah. And if I can add super quickly on that, I think to your other comment, I think a lot of folks, like I, for instance, I grew up, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with Nova Scotia too much, but, um, uh, um, I grew up in Truro. So it's about exact ah, same thing, kind of like an hour out of, out of the city, um, uh, very similar to Mission. Um, so very rural community, very much mindset that oh gay people and trans people and queer people in general don't live here they live in halifax or they live in you know toronto or they live in those big cities um and it's becoming the exact same thing over the past couple years like our own mayor um didn't raise the pride flag for years and many people asked him to and he flat out refused um but with more pushback against that um it's flying now like more proactive initiatives are happening. Um, and it's to be quite frank, because a lot of people who are coming from the city who are, you know, not the stereotypical white, cis, straight, you know, mentality are living here and are changing the way that we understand um, because it's different if there's a trans kid, but if there's a lot of trans adults living here, being proactive about change and then changing that initiative, I think that is, you know, as powerful
2: so. Yeah, definitely, and the more the more people who meet somebody who's LGBTQ, the less they are scared and yes. afraid.
0: and, um, and connection yeah. is, is key. And so I guess well, the rally came through town there. Um, I guess four days, five days after the assault, because one person really wanted to do something. Hopeless, and they wanted to stand in solidarity. And the rally is fantastic, and watching um, the family's reaction to all like, hundreds of vehicles with flags and support banners flying through was amazing. Well, that's one day, that's one moment in time. So what can people be doing there or even across Canada to help, you know, counter the stigma that is, you know, that is being, I guess, fostered or perpetuated through elementary school? And it seems to build there and then... Reaches this height in junior high that tends to be that focal point, doesn't it? Around the grade seven, grade eight, grade nine period where you see violent attacks and bullying heightened. Um, kids get a bit more independence in school. And so, um, you know, what can, what can parents, caregivers, schools be doing?
2: I would say, and this is very cliche, be the change. <laughs> so those parents, can be the ones who explain to other parents what it means for someone to be LGBTQ. Um, the fact that beating somebody up for being different is just inherently wrong. I mean, I just—it's. I guess in my own mind, it's hard for me to to even think that somebody could think that was an acceptable way of dealing with a situation you know um, call out the bigotry that you hear if you're in a parents group and you hear somebody say something about gay people or trans people or colored people or whatever call them out like it's the first step is to always squash it you know call it out when you hear it and be the person that really owns that
0: have a question for you then so you have SOGI and it's a series of quote my little quote hats guidelines at what point do we need to say because this is a human rights um you know trans and non-binary people exist and it's it's a it should be you know a protected human right rightfully so at what point do do we have to say okay guidelines aren't enough we cannot have a single teacher in the school who is not aware of gender identity and sexual orientation we cannot have a policy where teachers can pick and choose if they want to discuss the uncomfortable topic. Um, at what point does it have to be sort of mandatory part of the curriculum that, you know, we're talking about not every kid identifies as as he or she and um, and fits this this box that we're trying to box people into? Um, when does I it become guidelines?
2: I think lawmakers have a responsibility to make sure that Canadian laws support those things, um, first and foremost. I think that will drive the changes that are needed in schools. A lot of these things are, you know, two steps forward, one step back, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that those guidelines are there, um, I think, has already made a huge difference. In terms of making it mandatory, there's always pushback when you do that because then you've got parents at the door with pitchforks saying, you're not going to indoctrinate my child. So I think I I kind of applaud the way the BC – school system has approached this because the more kids they speak to over the next few years, the more normal, I hate to use the word normal, but the more normal that conversation is. And so I think there will be less pushback over time. I think they, they took the right approach, um, although it's frustrating and it feels slow. Uh, I think it, it's a lot like um, what we were just discussing with Chiroh. Um, I've been to Truro. I've been to the A&W in Truro on a road trip. I didn't stop there. <laughs> I was going to say my... that's, that street's probably the, the highlight of Truro. So <laughs> everything's there. <laughs> I remember there. it. I, um, uh, one of my best friends is from New Glasgow and guess what? He's gay. So I do, I know Nova My first uh, partner was from PEI. So I spent quite a bit of time. Uh, in and around Nova Scotia, and you're right, Truro is like a mission. It's, you know, yeah, it probably wasn't the first place to raise the pride flag and definitely not the trans flag, but as people like like you or people – in the community make themselves known and help others understand you're not there for some nefarious purpose and that you don't have some hidden agenda, um, the easier that conversation becomes because then people will be like, oh, I know Isaac. Like Isaac is a great person. There's no reason why I should be afraid. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's no intent to make my kids something they're not. I mean, it, it, it really is the more people – um no LGBTQ people at work uh, at school it's it's just less fear over time yeah and I think
1: I think a really important part too um especially in schools like um, on Cindy's question about mandating that everyone be more inclusive and to like everyone needs to be have some sense of awareness about sexual orientation gender identity and stuff, um, I think it's really important to almost and I greatly applaud BC and how they're doing it. Cause I think it's more important to almost alienate those ideologies because if the majority of the school board is accepting and they're, you know, striving to be more diverse then the individuals who are now the minority who have those opinions are going to feel more alienated and they're going to be kind of more silent about their opinions. And maybe eventually they'll realize, oh, maybe there's a reason why I feel this way that I do. And they might seek out, be like, hey, let me try and understand in my own accord. It's kind of hard, I find, um, especially with people with more conservative ideologies to be like, hey, like, let's have an open discussion about like queer people. They're going to be like, no, like, absolutely not. If you put them on the defense, they're going to automatically be, you know, very not necessarily aggressive, but more assertive about their opinions. So you kind of have to find, kind of <laughs> jump through some hoops and do some, you know, strategic planning when it comes to it. I think is that's the one of the best ways to navigate it in the school system.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there comes a point where you suddenly realize you're Archie Bunker, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. <laughs> if, if your views are really antiquated, uh, sometimes that's a wake up call, for sure. yeah.
0: Reflection is needed, yeah. <laughs> but I was gonna say, and I just did want to preface that, um, you know, as, it's we talk about in, in this podcast a lot. I'm a, I'm a parent of a young trans child who is now in grade nine, but we had to pull them in grade eight for the exact same, not the exact same reason, but the bullying was definitely there. It could have escalated to a physical. Um, he was actually assaulted in elementary school um, with transphobic bullying, but um, but the bullying got so bad verbally and mentally. In uh, by grade eight, we just pulled him right out last year in February, and we found a more inclusive school for him to start after the school's reopened from lockdown and he's just a better kid i mean just being in an inclusive environment where he's accepted for who he is and can just get on with being him like night and day you know and that's all we can hope for i can hope for as a parent you know
2: yeah so what did the i'm just curious did this what did the school do prior to you having to pull your child from the school
0: uh, very, very little, unfortunately, um, yeah. in, yeah, very little in junior high. It's like, they're just floating to stay above water. Um, the guidance yep. counselor would chat with him. Um, but at that point too, there's that real mentality too, for, um, a young trans boy that if you tell, um, then you're weak and people will hate you more. So yeah. because the bullies tend to be the more vocal popular kids. And so if you go up against them, there's that herd mentality, um, and so there, it, he was just going to be keep your head down and try to survive. But it had got to the point sleepless nights, headaches. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't survive in that environment anymore. So, and no matter how much I advocated for as a mom from PFLAG, all of that, it just wasn't, it wasn't making a difference. So sadly, we just had to bow down and say, okay, we're out, you know?
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that type of thing that whatever I can, Do to try to get the conversation happening in those school boards. That's, that's where my focus has been because really, uh, I can tell you in the late eighties, early nineties in high school hasn't changed. You know, like the, the the concept of trans wasn't really a thing back then. It wasn't, it was certainly not a conversation we ever had. But if you were perceived to be gay (laughs) in high school, uh, it was pretty miserable. You know, I I actually spent the first two years of high school, so grade eight and nine. This is, we didn't have middle school back then. Uh, grade eight and nine, I spent in a place called Aldergrove, which is between Langley and Abbotsford. It's very small. Um, it's like mission, but worse. <laughs> and uh, in grade 10, I moved to Abbotsford and it was incredibly better, um, larger town, very religious for sure. And there were there were elements there that tried to save me and that, you know, I went through a whole bunch of stuff at fifteen and sixteen. But the difference between my school in and Aldergrove and Abbotsford was stark. I was I was an A student in elementary school. I got to grade eight and nine and was bullied so much that my grades were usually about a C C minus. I was starting to drink at age 14 what saved my life at age 14 going on 15 was moving away and getting away from that environment and finding a school with people who uh accepted me for who i was i certainly wasn't out as a gay person i didn't come out until i was 24 but i was the kid who was in choir i was i was a singer in school i was not in sports i was like all the stereotypes were there, 100%. <laughs> Did your parents
0: but, move you because they support, like they, they could see it or is that why your parents moved you or helped support you there? You no,
2: know, my family was going through quite a, a lot. At that time, my, my parents, my father was brain damaged. He had an accident when I was 12. Um, and back then they really, you know, support for mental health was just not existent. Like it really didn't exist. My mother lost her eyesight in one eye. My parents, went through a horrible time. They were on welfare most of the time I was in high school. So, I had other challenges other than being closeted. I had the, you know, I had 3 shirts that I wore to school, so I got teased for always wearing the same clothes. Like at my socioeconomic status in high school was not ideal. Um, so I had that <laughs> on top of things. But cool. I figure the fact that I ended up in a school that was more supportive of who I was made a huge difference in my life. To change the trajectory of my life entirely. So I fully understand pulling a child out of that environment, getting them somewhere where they can be who they are. It, it can save their life, literally. But my hope is that through this kind of activism that we can stop schools from becoming places where bullying is allowed or, or isn't, isn't dealt with or kids are told, well, you know, buck up. It's going to make it tougher. I, I remember having those conversations with Uh, counselors in high school Um, you know don't be that weak choir kid you got to stand up for yourself that's not what it's about (laughs) Uh, at all
0: talk about that my kids grandparents have said that to him when he first transitioned the whole idea of boys don't do that girls do that and you got to be tough and all of that you know like we've
2: all been trained in this binary world where boys are this and girls are that and if you're anywhere in between but I don't know how to deal with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much onus on like children to like figure out where they
1: stand. And it's like, that's like so confusing on top of it, whether you're trans or just like gay or anything like that, anywhere under the umbrella. It's, it's a lot. You're trying to like go through school. You're trying to get good grades. You're trying to make friends. You're trying to figure out who the heck you are. So, you know, and if you don't have the coping mechanisms or if you're in an environment where those sorts of discussions aren't, you know, really good um yeah it definitely is tough I know myself when I like as I said I grew up in Tro. um I moved to Halifax lived there for four years for my um my bachelor's and then I moved back so I'm actually living back in Tro, in a house I'm here even though I (laughs) as a child I said I despised Tro, but uh i definitely very similar to yourself though Colin like when I was younger like a lot of substance abuse like a lot of struggling to cope kind of thing and you know Trying to figure out where you stand and trying to find your people. And it's, it's friggin' tough
2: on yep. top. I mean, it's tough for even else, so. the average teenager. Yeah. But when you layer on sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, substance issues, socioeconomic stuff, like <laughs> you just feel like you're getting buried, right? Yeah, and I think tough. it's so important. Like even at this stage, uh, one of my colleagues, a peer of mine at work, he's 35. He's from Southeast London. So I don't know if you, if you know anyone from Southeast London, that is probably one of the roughest places to grow up. He has the, the total Cockney accent. Tough oh, yeah. guy, likes football, soccer. Um, met me three years ago and didn't know what to do. <laughs> so, in the last three years, I've spent a lot of time, even yesterday, uh, he and I spent an hour on the phone talking about this this issue, what happened in Mission. And I was explaining, you know, he's, he's learning about trans people. He still doesn't get why they're like that. You know, those are the kind of comments he makes but I've I've really taken a lot of time over the last few years just to educate and to say Mm -hmm. here's what you need to know about trans people you don't need to know if they've had surgery you don't need to know well what are they like those are the kinds of like difficult conversations that can be very upsetting but at the same time he needed education like he Mm -hmm. needs to understand that hey maybe you need to meet a few trans people and get to know them and then ask those questions and see how silly they are. You know, like it's, it's just about becoming familiar with people who are like that, so that you understand them better. Just like me trying to understand somebody from Southeast London.
0: <laughs> well, exactly, right? It's all
2: about <laughs> learning
0: a new language, and and that, yeah. that's what it's about. And it's just having these conversations and not being afraid. And you're for us, you know, hey, you're not going to offend me. You can talk to me about it, and I know. And I always love to say, you know, if someone says, you know, they're asking, what is it? Why, why are these people like that? I say, you know what? Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with at night or who you love. Your gender identity is who you are, who you lie yep. down as at night, you know, and that's, yeah. you know, in a, in a nutshell. But, um, but yeah, these conversations are great. And I really, we, Isaac and I, thank you so much for being a part of it and being part of the podcast.
2: Hey, thank you for having me and thank you for doing what you do as well, because obviously you're uh, you're reaching out to lots of people. So that is very appreciated. Well, we appreciate welcome. you sharing your story as well. It was uh, very, very powerful. No problem at all. And someday I'll make it back to Truro and I will see more than the AW, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Prince Street is, uh,
1: or sorry, Roby Street there would be where the AW is. It's, uh, that's pretty much all people see on the highway. They go by, they're like, Oh, there's McDonald's. Let's go. There it was. <laughs> I've been to Truro. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. No, that's I'm literally, literally yeah. <laughs> no one's ever been really downtown. That's how you know, if you know Truro is if you've been downtown, not just Roby Street. So I need to go back <laughs> anyways. I need to visit BC. That's on my bucket list for, uh, post COVID. So. We'll uh, we'll exchange. (laughs) Sounds
2: good to me. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. If
2: you have any questions you want to ask
1: or want to join in on the conversation, email us at connect at simplygoodform.com.
0: Thank you all. And remember, inclusion matters.